Let me read the text and pray. We're in 1 Timothy and we're going to be in chapter 3, verse 14. Chapter 3, verse 14. I hope to see you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. It's first Timothy three. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for this morning. I pray for us. God, I pray that we would be able to focus on Jesus this morning. All the things that we could focus on, which could be good things. Lord, I pray that above all, we would focus on Christ. All the things, God, that um, maybe I want to say or I have written down to say, if they don't do that, Lord, keep me from saying those. I pray for each one here. God, you have divinely, sovereignly brought them here this morning. And I pray that because of that, you would work in them supernaturally. Holy Spirit, please come speak through me into the hearts of the people here. And I pray that, Lord, you would be glorified, that you would be made much of. And that we would um, we would truly give our lives over to you this morning. Pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. We, uh, as a church, have been going through the book of First Timothy, if this is your first time here. And we've kind of brought ourselves to just three short verses. Um, and today is going to be a little bit different than normal. Um, you'll notice that we've tried to scale down things. Uh, the goal today is to really refocus us um, as a church. I, I'm not sure that um, if you're well, if you're like me, um, let me say it this way. Today could be um, and what I've been praying for, that today would be one of the most memorable sermons or sermons services or Sundays that Remedy Church has had. Um, I'm praying that it would really refocus us all as a church to exactly what we should be doing, exactly who we should be focused on, um, namely Christ. Now, I'm going to kind of give you my example from my personal life about how this um, sermon and this set of texts and these set of verses has all kind of brought us, brought me to this the, this mentality or this thought that we need to kind of bring everything together um, this morning. We need, to, we need to scale down the band. We need to just have Cameron sing. And we need to really just kind of refocus ourselves just on the most important thing. Not let, any, not, not let there be any distractions. But just focus on Christ. Um, I'm going to be using my personal example as we look at this. But I'm, I'm hoping that you'll kind of be able to think about your own life. And think about what's going on and... And really be able to see, maybe I have some um, similarities in your story that I need this as well. Um, I've been, and most of you know this, um, trying to plant a church here and somewhat doing that um, for the last nine months. And, and one, of the, one of the things that I, I can get caught up in, in trying to plant a church, is doing things for Christ. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily um, finding sin 
and getting rid of that sin to refocus on Jesus or finding the morally neutral things in your life. Um, some of us listen to secular music. Some of us shouldn't. Some of us watch certain TV shows and some of us shouldn't. I'm not talking about those things. I'm not fa- talking about sin. I'm not talking about the, the obviously moral neutral things in your life. I'm talking about the good things. The things you do for God. Um, whether it's evangelism or m- really making sure you're putting unbelievers around in your life. Or whether it's um, service. Whether it's giving. For me... Um, the thing that is the thing I'm doing for God is trying to um, start a church. And what I've found over the last nine months is that my focus spiritually has um, shifted ever so slightly away from Jesus to doing things for Jesus. Does that make sense? Um, I have found that I need to meet with that person and have a lunch. I need to um, talk with that person about making this thing better in the church. I need to try to build the church this way. I need to meet with that staff member or whatever to talk about this. I need to make sure that we have that. And so I'm doing things for the church and the church is a vehicle that God's given me to be able to stand up here weekly and proclaim the gospel. And so I'm doing things, um, but in my doing things for him, I found that there's been a shift where I'm not necessarily focused on him. Because honestly, honestly, if all those things don't get done, and all I'm doing is trying to get those things done, and I'm missing Jesus, then it's all been for nothing. I, I can't let myself fall into the trap of trying to do things for him and then totally missing him because doing the things for him become pointless if I don't have him. So let me let me try to help you g- grab some similarities in your life stage or where you are and, and see if you're with me. Um, if in your desire to be a good student, to study for Jesus, to make good grades, you find yourself studying so much that that's all you do and you're missing him. Well, then you're you're doing the same thing. Um, what else could you be doing for him? You could be um, putting yourself around unbelievers. You could be trying to kill sin. You, should, you could be trying to work for him in your job. Um, there's all kinds of things that you can be doing in your life. No matter where you are, you can try to be. Well, some of you might be trying to find the right wife or the right husband for the future, which is a good thing, which you need to have in your life where you can um, have a family that glorifies Christ. But if you're trying to work on all these things for him and you're missing him, well, then we need a refocusing. I need a refocusing. And if we, we look at this text, um, this, is where, this is where Paul is driving us. Um, what I want you to do is this. Remember back to, and, and maybe this might not be you, but I, this, this week I've been really kind of running through my mind. Um, and I was talking about it with some of the guys this past Monday. Um, I, I say, I remember some times in my life where nothing else really mattered. Um, every morning, every day, all I would think about is my, my relationship with Christ and that it was there and that I was, I was doing the things, not necessarily in order just to do them, but I wanted to because that gave me more of Jesus. And I remember back, I remember, I remember um, in college where I really felt my affections were really focused on Jesus or um, there were some times where I was, um, first kind of getting into seminary, but I just, 
I knew that I was right where I needed to be spiritually. And, and I'm wondering if the, you can remember back right now. Maybe you aren't where you need to be or you can kind of say, I know I'm not, but man, I can remember a year ago. Maybe things are great, but I can remember back a year ago where things were awesome. I can remember three years ago when I was doing these certain things and I had these certain things going on in my life and I had these certain people in my life. I was really walking with Christ then. I know this is somewhat subjective, but we shouldn't just throw out subjective and only focus on objective. Um, if you can remember back where you weren't feeling so distant from him. Where has it changed? And if you can remember back also, what would it need? What would need to happen in your life? Because I, if we're all honest here, we desire that to be back. We desire to really be walking intimately with Christ. We don't, I don't like to look back at where I was really walking with Christ and say, well, that was good. But right now I'll just be satisfied with, with kind of getting along. Um, and, and I'll just pray that that comes back one day. Maybe God will be nice in his sovereignty to bring that deeper, intimate relationship with him back one day. Um, but until then, I'm just going to kind of do what I'm doing. I'm just going to kind of keep moving along, um, going to school, meeting with these people, going this. I, I don't I don't think that we really want to be doing that. I don't think you do. I know I don't. And so um, when God made it aware to me. As I'm preparing for this text, and I'm going to show you how it all happened in this text. Um, when God made it aware to me that there were places, there were, there were things where I was more satisfied with the work rather than him. And I started thinking back, man, I remember when it was just him. It was just him. What would you need to do in your life? To take you back to those times where you felt like your affections for Christ were the uppermost things in your life. And I'm thinking that this text this morning helps us get there. Let, let me just read you a couple verses um, before we get started to let you know exactly the mindset that I want to have spiritually. And that I think if you would be honest this, with me this morning, you would want to have. And like I said, um, I might not be speaking to you at all this morning, but I'm thinking if we were all honest here, that I might be speaking to more of you than less of you. Listen to this verse. Listen to, listen to what Paul's saying. And this is the mindset I want us to bring in. Um, this, is, this is Philippians. I just want you to listen. You don't, you don't need to turn. Just listen to what he's saying. Uh, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, listen to what he says here. I count everything. Everything. Think of all the things that are in your life right now. School, a desire to be married, work, um, friends, whatever is is good things in your life. I'm, uh, really good things. I'm not saying that these things are bad things. I'm not saying that you should get rid of them at all. I mean, we should do things for Christ. Look what he says. I count everything. I count everything a loss because of. Why does he do that? Why are all the things that are good things, why does he count them in his loss? Not that he doesn't want them anymore, not that he might not do them anymore. Um, but look what he says. I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing 
worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Just knowing him. That's all I want. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or dung in order that I might gain Christ. What he's saying is all the things that you do for Jesus. You should still count them all as loss in order that you can know him. This is pretty amazing where he says, um, I count everything as a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Let me, let me read this in verse 10. Um, in, in the NIV, it just starts off with, I want to. But in the ESV, it just says that I. But it's just carried on in the same idea. That I may know him. It's not saying that I may know how to work for him, that I may know how to do good things for him, that I may lead more people to Christ, that I may give more money, that I might serve more people in the city, that I might feel better about um, making Operation Christmas Child Boxes, might feel better about myself, um, that I might give more stuff away. Those things are good. But he's not saying that I might do those things. He's just saying that I might know him. It's all I care about. If everything in my life goes away, I just want to know him. If everything falls apart, if I lose everything, if I lose every single thing in my life, or if I never have every dream I have for my life fulfilled, if I don't do well in school, if I don't ever get to get married, if I don't ever get to have children, if I never am successful in my job, I want to know him. If this church never ever in North American eyes of success gets to what I would think as a sinful way of being successful, so what? I want to know him. I've got to, you've got to erase this Western mentality that um, accomplishing things means relationship with Jesus. Because here's the worst thing that could happen. Romans 1 tells us this. God could give us over to our own depravity. That means that we could truly believe. I could truly believe that Western success of growing churches um, is what I need. And he could let me believe that for the rest of my life and let me have that for the rest of my life and not Jesus. Or he could give you what your heart's desire is. A husband, a wife, a child, a job, good grades. And you could have that as your idol and not Jesus. That's worse. That's worse than not getting it. That you would get it. And that you would worship that more than him. And look what he says here. Back over to 1 Timothy. Because I want you to... So we're carrying in that mindset. More than anything, I want Jesus. More than anything. Look what he says here. Um, some commentators, most commentators actually tell us that these three verses um, are the, the centerpiece of the book. This is telling us of the letter, why Paul is actually writing this letter. He's writing this letter. He's writing instructions to Timothy to watch out for false doctrine. And, and these are the way um, 
you should have elders and deacons in the church. And this is how you as a pastor should live your life. That's what he's going to tell us in verse four and five. And, and these are the ways that the, the things should happen. And the reason why all those things should happen is um, right here in, in verses 14, 15, 16. This is the point of this whole letter. If all those things happen, then this is why. Look what he says. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things that to you so that if I delay... You're a pastor, Timothy, and you need to know if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. All right. We're grabbing that word behave from 15 and we're seeing this word 16 um, godliness in verse 16. And we're saying, all right, we see what you're saying to us, Paul. Um. Timothy's a pastor and he should, if he's going to fight false doctrine, he's going to appoint elders and deacons and he's going to kill sin in his life and he's going to um, live his life in a Christ honoring way as a pastor to lead a congregation. The reason why is because he wants the church who follows him to know how to behave. That's what he tells us in 15. And how should they behave? Verse 16 says with godliness. So here's the whole point. The whole point of this letter is so that the church will be godly. Now, the interesting part is this. When I read this, I see behave. I see behave. And immediately I think, all right, that means I've got to do something. There's something I got to do. Now, um, let me read a couple verses to you because we hear this. Um, and when we as a church hear behave, we think, all right, immediately, what are the things I need to do? Give me the list. Individually or as a church, give me the list, because if I have the list and I know how we're supposed to behave, then the promise is supposed to come. Listen to this. And we read texts like this um, and we think, all right, if we do these things, it's supposed to happen. Acts two. This is what he says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, studying the word fellowship, community groups. Breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, and really um, practicing the presence of Christ and prayers. We know that nothing will happen in this church without prayer. All right, so that's my list. That's the things I'm supposed to do. Um, if I do these things, look what it says here. And it says, um, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's the list. That's the result. We as a church desperately, we couldn't want more that our added that we would have um, added numbers to us. Added numbers, not necessarily people transferring from other churches where we just get um, people Changing teams, basically. Um, we want new people, new converts, people to come to know Christ. When we see people get saved, our hearts rejoice. And we say, God, that's what I want. Not just as a church, but individually. That's our goal, honestly, right? We want to kill sin in our life, see people get saved. There's my list. Study the word, have fellowship, communion, breaking bread, prayers. And immediately, all of us, Revert over to the list. We revert to the list. I'm going to, because I'm not where I want to be spiritually right now, pray more. I'm going to study the Bible more. I'm going to be in community group more. Because that's what God wants. And what happens with me, if you're anything like this, I do the list. I do them. One by one. Checking them off in my head. 
and then nothing happens. I don't see great strides of killing sin in my life. And I don't see me getting more opportunity. Well, I share the gospel, but I don't see when I share the gospel. It's just kind of like I'm talking to a wall and no one gets saved. And maybe you get that frustration in your head. You're like, all right, God, um, I'm behaving the way you want. As verse 15 says, with the list, I see, I mean, I can read you another list. It says that we devoted, this is Acts 6, we devoted ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And when that happened, verse 7, and the word continued to increase, the, the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So we, we can see pattern after pattern after pattern after pattern in the, in the book of Acts, which is the history of the beginning of the church, where people did the lists and people got saved. And kind of thinking through it. I'm behaving God the way you want. I'm, I'm doing the stuff you want. Why is it that I'm not seeing the results? Y'all find yourself frustrated like this sometimes? And then you think back to the way it used to be. A year ago, two years ago, three years ago. Whenever you seem to be, just say the name Jesus at somebody. And they would, oh yeah, could you tell me about him? Because I don't want to go to hell. I want, I want to be saved. Or, um, I honestly, I, I mean, I've, sh- I've shared Jesus with one guy five years ago at a car wash. A car wash with my class. Two huge rednecks pulled up in this massive truck. I sat down between them. Um, I'm not even sure that they could... Never mind. <laughs> I sat right down between them and I shared Christ. I just briefly, while their car was being washed told the gospel to this guy and he said he wants it. He prays to receive Christ. And he's like, man, I feel different. The other one's like, that's the Holy Spirit. And I was just like, I can't believe it. I'm sitting there just like, God, I can't believe we did a car wash and these two rednecks pull up and I share and they do it. Why is it not happening now? Why do I seem to have less affections? Why does the gospel seem to stir me Less than when it did. Why is it that when we worship, I used to feel more focused and now I don't through song? What is going on spiritually? It's because I'm focused on the list. I'm focused on God, I'm going to do the list in order to bring the results. And perhaps that's where you are. Maybe. You want the presence of God so bad in your life, just like I do, that you're missing Jesus just to do the things to have Jesus. Look here in verse 15, it says, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in. Now, he's going to give us three little titles of the church here. Um, we're going to see this, that he's going to give us three little titles. Number one, that one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress for tr- of truth. Three little, three little titles or three little names for what the church should look like. Number one, he calls it the household of God, reminding us of our adoption as sons and daughters, that we are all truly a family. Every person in here is your son or daughter. Um, or your brother. Then after that, he tells us, or, or, or sister. After that, he tells us, Church of the Living God, um, which is just a reminder. 
sometimes, I mean, this is so obvious, but I think we forget it sometimes. Um, Jesus is alive. Jesus defeated the grave. Jesus beat Satan, sin, and death. They have no power over him whatsoever. There, there is absolutely no reason whatsoever we should ever fear death as Christians. Where is your sting, death? That's what the end of 1 Corinthians 15 says. It, it can't do anything. All we can do is die physically. That's it. We are in the church of the living God. God's alive. And if that's true, what does that mean for you day by day for your fears? I mean, we fear so many things, don't we? God's alive. And the, lastly, it says this. Um, the last little name he gives us as a church is the pillar and buttress of truth. That word buttress can be foundation, meaning um, he is the, the pillar or these these big columns of which if, when you put things on, that's the support. But he's also the foundation. He's also the buttress, meaning that everything starts with him and everything is upheld by him. So we as a church, we are those things of truth. Of truth, which means we as a church should do a couple things. Contend and contextualize. Contend and contextualize. Um, in Jude 3, let me read it to you. Um, when it's talking about the church... This is what it has to when it, when it deals with contending. If you don't know where Jude is, it's the second to last book of the Bible. It's just one page. On oh, mine, it's two, but um, it's generally just one page. And it says, um, "Beloved, I thought it was, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and all delivered to the saints." Which means that we, as Christians, we know what are the um, we know what are the immovable, unshakable truths of God. Um, the way that you'll hear this, um, if you listen to a guy named Mark Driscoll, he talks about the open hand and closed hand. These, the closed hand things are the things that can never, ever um, be changed. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe in substitutionary atonement. We believe in, and that's just a big word for basically, Jesus took our place for us on the cross. He substituted himself by his blood, um, Taking the death that we should have taken. Um, there's certain things that we have to hold to that are absolutely true. And we will contend for those. We are the pillar and buttress of truth. We fight for those things. We can never sway on those things. Jesus is the only way for salvation, etc. There's truths. We contend. But we also contextualize. And these are the open hand things. Contextualize doesn't mean the um, rock solid things that can never change. But there are some things that we can have an open hand with. Um, and this comes from 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22 and following. This is what it says. Um, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them their blessings. So there are things that are open hand. If we're going to talk about end times, eschatology, that's an open hand. That's not going to change the gospel. Um, there are things that we don't have to worry about. There are things that some people can't do and some people can in their Christian walk. If, if someone's a recovering alcoholic, um, they probably shouldn't have some kind of ministry to the bars, obviously, right? Um, if someone wants to um, minister to prostitutes and they're male, they probably shouldn't, 
right? There's, there's clear, obvious things that some people shouldn't do, but we also um, should have some people doing those things. The gospel should be contextualized in those certain areas where they're not changing the truths of the gospel, but they have to um, live in the world in such a way that's not sinful. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus was the ultimate contextualizer where he left the glory of heaven and stepped down into where we are, totally filled with sin, went to the parties, lived among sinners and loved them well. He contextualized the truth of the gospel here to us. And so when we're the pillar of buttress and truth, we should contend and contextualize. Another way it says promote and protect the gospel. So those are the things we're supposed to do. Now, here's the important part that I want you to that I want you to see. Why does Paul name these three things about the church? Why does he say these things when he's talking about the church and the way they should behave? Um, These titles describe the godly behavior that should be true of us as a church, that we should be the household of God. We should be the church of the living God and we should be the pillar and buttress of truth. And in your life, you should individually have these things going on where you're fighting for truth, that you um, realize that you serve a living God and that you live among a household where you should be in community of people, holding them accountable, doing life with them, serving with them in certain places, etc. So those are the things. Now, um, then he points to this next little Um, This actually was a hymn, and this hymn is extremely Christ-centered. It's so christ I can't even explain it to you, but the way that the poetic structure of it actually shows us that they they set up the the way it should look to really talk about Christ as well. I wish I could explain it to you, but it's kind of hard to explain. Um, But let's just kind of go over this for a second, because what he's going to do is do a little six-point summation of, of Jesus. All right, so let's let's catch this first what he says. He was manifested in the flesh that Jesus actually lived among us. He was vindicated by the spirit or that vindicated can also mean um, justified in the spirit. Um, he lived for us. He was, and then it says he was seen by the angels. The angels were eyewitnesses of the gospel as well. Proclaimed among the nations. Now we as people proclaim this gospel among people believed on in the world that people believe in this, and then it says, taken up in glory. All right, so we see that this is a six-line summation statement of Jesus. Um, and the manifest in the Spirit is just kind of sh- showing us His infinite love that He has for us. Um, and each little, each little point kind of basically shows us these, these things about Christ um, and why it's important to know who Christ is. But the biggest thing that I want you to see is this. Um, Because this took me a while to understand. And this is really the whole point of today's sermon. Um, Why does Paul write that? Why, in verse 16, does Paul write a hymn about Jesus' life and his work and the person that he is? Why does he do that? It's very confusing to me. Because if, and thank goodness I'm not, if I were writing this, that's not what I would write. I would write something different. And if you see what, it, let me share with you what I'd write. And I think you're going to finally see my whole point. All right. Let's look at this again. And I want to share with you what I would write. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you, Timothy, who's a pastor, would know how, um, <clears throat> know how one ought to behave in. Now, I'm already, I'm automatically thinking behavior, how someone should behave. In 
the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. All right, I'm thinking this is how the church should behave. Great indeed, we confess, is this mystery of godliness. So if you're wanting to know how to behave and we should be godly, then I would say, now look at the Old Testament and look at the law. Look at the Ten Commandments. If you want to know how you should behave, do this. You should not kill. You should not steal. You should not commit adultery. You should not have lust. You should share your faith. You should kill sin. You should read your Bible. You should pray. You should be in communion. You should be in... That's how the church ought to behave. But he doesn't give us a list, does he? He doesn't give us a list. Back to the overall big picture, which is... What I think maybe you and I know I am falling into um, danger day in, day out. We have this absolute danger every time. Let me let me read you a, uh, a survey. This was a survey done by a, uh, a Christian group. They were at a Billy Graham crusade, a Billy Graham crusade. And they asked 100 people in this Billy Graham crusade, what is... The summary of the Christian gospel. What's the summary of the Christian gospel? And these were the answers. And it was multiple choice. They didn't just let them answer freely. They said, is it A, B, C, or D? This is what they said. A, God changing me. What's the, what's the best summary of the Christian gospel? A, God changing me. B, making a decision for Jesus. God changing me was 14%. B, making a decision for Jesus was 12%. C, living for God. Or D, the best summary of the Christian gospel, Christ's life, death, and resurrection. 35%. Which means roughly 65% of Christians, this is at a a Christian conference, 65% of Christians say that the best representation of the Christian gospel is either making a decision for Jesus, God changing me, or living for God, not what 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2 tells us, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and seemingly what Paul is telling us here, as we look at this, this is just the gospel. He manifested himself in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed in the world, taken up in glory. What those other things are, changing me, making a decision for Jesus, living for God, are works-based ways to have a relationship with Jesus. What those things are, honestly, in the end, are the list. It's the list. And so, I remember back to, oh man, 98 99, when I was just, I can remember this time in my life where I just felt like everything in my life was Christ. And, and maybe you have this time, maybe it was a year ago, um, maybe it was two years ago, maybe some circumstances have happened in your life. You know, maybe it was that Thursday night at youth camp um, where everything was real exciting. Those things aren't bad because th- I think those are true emotions for Jesus at the time. You just have to ask yourself what happened, what happened over the course of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to Thursday night to make you so excited. You eliminated distractions of cell phones and TV and etc. that brought you to and, and you added things like Bible study and prayer and fellowship. You added those things to get you to Jesus. Um, and, the, and the thing that the danger we can have is. If I focus on that list, I'm going to get the desired result rather than just focusing on Christ.
just focusing on Jesus. Nothing else. And so my desire today, which is what Paul tells us, the way we should behave, great indeed is this mystery of godliness, is that the mystery of godliness has already been given to you through Jesus. You are 100% righteous. You are counted 100% justified before God, completely innocent. So you don't need to do things to have his presence in your life. You have his presence in your life. Paul is taking you back to Jesus. Because we will be in real danger if we focus on a list rather than just focusing on Christ. So all these things were going through my head um, through a time of prayer and worship with the staff this past Monday um, and some good conversation with them and them and me just kind of bouncing ideas back and forth and them saying this and me saying this. And then we just brought ourselves um, to this conclusion. And then we we worshiped, we prayed for about an hour. And then right after that, when they left, I wrote this and I just want to read it to you. And I'm going to conclude with this. And after this, we're going to go into a time of worship through Lord's Supper and through worship through song. And then we'll go into our worship time through giving. But I'm hoping that as we see this and as I kind of conclude things that you are finding in your life the places where you are giving more affections to doing things for Jesus in order to have him rather than just realizing you have him and just being with him. This is what I wrote. Sometimes I feel trapped in the prison of stagnation. There are moments in my life where the gospel doesn't move me the way it should. The result is that I want things back the way they were. Back to when I felt Christ reigned more supreme in my affections than he does now. So what do I do? I practice all the spiritual disciplines I can to know that he is uppermost in my affections. Here is where the problem begins. The problem is what I focus on. In order to find myself totally passionate about Jesus, I focus on the spiritual disciplines. Here's the problem. I focus on a list of things to do in order to be more passionate about Jesus. Upon completion of the list, I find myself frustrated that nothing has changed. You can be locked into a pattern of sin with your boyfriend or girlfriend. And you know that you're not supposed to be doing those things. So you say, I'm just going to pray more. I'm just going to read my Bible more. And then later on, Friday or Saturday night, whenever you are with him again or with her again, you do it again. You say, what the world? I'm just going to focus again. You can be focused in on a desire that runs so deep in order to be married or desire if you're married so deep to have children or desire to be successful in your dad or your mom's eyes that you've never ever been successful. You, you're desiring certain things and I'm just going to refocus. I'm just going to change back and you're focused on the wrong thing because you want to get rid of that sin in your life, but you're focusing on things rather than him. Upon completion of the list, I find myself frustrated that nothing has changed. I can't figure it out. I did all the things I'm supposed to do. Why do I find myself not passionate about the gospel as I should be? 
And here's what God, through the help of my friends, reminded me. I was focusing on as a list of things to do instead of focusing on Christ. He is the goal and he is the prize. Cameron, you can come on out. Um, It's a dangerous thing if we make our goal killing sin. If we make our prize our husband or wife. If we make our goal more salvations. If we make our worship serving. He is the goal and he is the prize. I made the goal of completion a list of things or completing a list of things I needed to do in order to know him instead of making the goal just knowing him. We're all wired this way. Every one of us are wired this way. We're all prone to desire to do things for Jesus instead of just being with Jesus. We all want to find the things that we need to do rather than just be with him. We all suffer from the Mary and Martha syndrome where we all need to do things rather than do the better thing, which is just be with him. May God help us and show us mercy in our folly. May we focus on the gospel of Jesus with our goal to be just him. So what God's taught me is this. Not to focus on all the things that are going to make me feel like I'm successful. Not focus on doing all the things I feel like I should do, but just Him. Because if I don't have Him, I lose everything. And I'm praying that that's what He teaches you this morning. I'm praying that as we go through the Lord's Supper and as we go through the the worship through song, that the Holy Spirit will take the truths from His Word and take the taking of the bread and, and the juice and take as we worship Him through song and take all these things and let you see in your mind that more than likely, you might be falling prey to doing things rather than just being with Him. And that you'll find yourself more focused on Him than things. You'll repent of the sin of productivity rather than just having an intimate relationship with Him. And those desires to be back to where you were will be will come into fruition as you focus on Christ and not just wishing that you could have His presence with you one day again. He's the most important thing. If everything fails in your life, everything, everything fails in your life. If all of it's gone and you don't get anything, but you get Him, you've won. Don't ever be fooled. Don't ever let yourself find yourself confused that you can only have him if you have her. You can only have him if you have that guy. You can only have him if you find success at your job. You can only have him if, if, if. Don't ever buy into that lie. If everything goes away and you have him, 
then you've been successful. And then you'll say things like Paul does. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. I want you to gain Christ over over and above anything else. You want you to gain Christ. I know you do. So this morning, I just want you to spend some time in prayer. Maybe confessing the sin of having things in front of Jesus. We're going to have a song now where Cameron's going to sing. And I just want you to pray, confess sin, and listen to the words meditate on Christ and use this song as a meditation time before we go into the Lord's Supper. And after the song, I'll come up and I'll facilitate the Lord's Supper for us. But right now, um, I'm going to pray and Cameron will start. And I just want you to stay in prayer and I want you to focus on repentance. I want you to focus on the things, identifying these things in your life that you need to confess, the things that you know are keeping you from having just him. Because everything that you need for life and righteousness has been done for you when he died on the cross and he said, it's finished. Let's pray. Christ, I thank you for your gospel. And I confess in my own life the sin of desiring productivity and results more than just wanting to have Christ. Forgive me for that, God. God, I pray that each one of us here this morning, if we're guilty of this as well, Holy Spirit, that you would come and be so kind and merciful to show those things to us and lead us to repentance. We know from Romans 2 that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And so if there are places in our heart That we have idols. That you would be kind to show us those. And merciful to lead us into repentance. And that we would do that willingly. And God that we would want Christ in our life. That we wouldn't want list keeping above you. You're the goal Jesus. You and you alone. Be with us now as we go into our time of worship through the Lord's Supper and through song. Pray these things in Jesus' name.